Hello and welcome to the first edition of the People Behind the Tech podcast, brought to you by the Leaders Performance Institute and SBJ Tech. My name is John Porch. I'm the editor at the Leaders Performance Institute, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Joe Lemire, who is the senior writer at SBJ Tech. Joe, how are you doing this morning? I'm great. Thanks for having me, John. No, it's great to have you along, and I'm very excited to speak to our very special guest as well. It's Brandon McDaniel, the VP of Player Performance at the LA Dodgers, and someone who is very well known to you, Joe. You, you go back quite a long way, don't you? Uh, yeah, we've had a conversation, um, our first one a few years ago, got to learn a little bit about, about Brandon's journey, and uh, I know uh, something our, our listeners today will, will, will find insightful. Fantastic. Well, Brandon, welcome to the show. It's great to have you this morning. Awesome to be here. Really appreciate uh, the opportunity. Wonderful. And Joe, I'll let you take it away with the first question, if that's okay. Absolutely. Uh, well, Brandon, you are the, the leadoff hitter of this series, so I think you should, we should be preaching good plate discipline, just getting on base any way you can with these answers. You don't need a home run on the, on the first one. I think given the nature of this series and about not just the technology itself, but the people uh, and the coaches using it, I think a, a good way to start would be what technology do you use in your own fitness programs you know, as you yourself are training and exercising? That's a really good question. I've never hit leadoff in my life, too. I was always too slow by the standards, so this is the first time I've gotten to do that. But I dabble in a lot when it, when it comes to technology for myself. A lot of it is just to find out for my athletes themselves or friends or, or, or anything along those lines. I help Elysian Park out with some investment stuff as well. So I'll usually try some things out for them. Uh, I've been a whoop wearer since the day that it started or the day that you know we had the opportunity to get it. I think it was back in like late 2016. I have worn an Aura as well, which people might think that's extremely redundant, but I actually use them for two completely different things. Uh, and obviously, like the Aura sleep is is really good. So I've uh, I've enjoyed having them tell me that I need to get more sleep over the years. I've been wearing Levels uh, now for over two years. I was an overweight kid growing up and really had to like, poor nutrition, way too much sugar, way too much like sodium and salt growing up. And the levels did a lot for me, changed the way that like, I stopped drinking alcohol two years ago in February, mostly because I got tired of seeing like the blood sugar spikes in the middle of the night that were showing up. I knew that it wasn't good for me, obviously, but I always like justify it. And like levels is the one thing that took me over the top. And so Apple Watch, yeah, I obviously use, use that for all of my uh, like in workout sessions. Those are the four big ones that I use uh, on a regular basis, but I have a ton of tech. I use like an arena box to work out on my house. I can't push mass the way that I used to. I bought one of those climbers running isn't favorable on my hip anymore. So I bought one of those new climbers that came out. I didn't really get into like the service model of it, but I love the machine. Pretty much my wife will tell you I'm extremely OCD. When it comes to these things, like when my whoop is off or my aura is off or whatever, I'm like, oh, you know, I gotta, I gotta fix this. So sometimes it's maybe a little too much, but I've learned how to like compartmentalize it and take it for what it's worth. And and now actually like starting to use the information to then spread it to the most important thing, which is the athletes that I work with. Yeah, of course, that's fascinating. And through my job, I've had a chance to try out a, a number of those technologies as well. And I always. Sometimes people around me make fun of me because I'll go for a run, but it, before I'm going, I'd, I'll trying out like four different technologies at the same time. And then it's such a process to hit like start on each one so that it records properly. And it's a whole little ballet song and dance before we get going. Uh, I hear you on that. I've never, uh, I've never been great with technology either. 
And so mm-hmm. they're, they're like, when I got to charge every device on the same day, it feels like a full-time job. <laughs> it really can be. You mentioned the, the nutrition element, and I, I know, I think it'd be interesting to, to learn a little bit more about how you got into performance in a coaching and performance science to begin with. I went to the University of South Dakota for two years back uh, my freshman and sophomore year of college, right out of high school to play baseball. Uh, the University of South Dakota at that point was like on the verge of wanting to become division one, which is kind of crazy to like watch it turn full circle. Now, like South Dakota state just won the FCS uh, championship and North Dakota state, they, like they were all in the same conference, South Dakota, South Dakota state, North Dakota, North Dakota state, all those schools. So like we were there when they were division two schools and they cut our program at the end of 2004 due to title nine reasons. But I think the, the biggest reason why is like they wanted to take the football and basketball teams to uh, division one. So I was a PE major at the University of South Dakota. I'd done like a really nice job in high school getting out ahead of credits uh, and was going to graduate probably early from there, play my four years of baseball, probably be a PE teacher and a high school baseball coach. And so they cut the program. I'm like, well, I still want to, I still want to play. I still want to give this a run. So I transferred to Wayne State College in Nebraska is another division two school. We were really good at baseball, which was a lot of fun for me. And they were a teacher school. It used to be the Nebraska teacher school before it was Wayne State. And they basically said like, Hey, good work the last two years, but they don't count. So you're going to have to go to school for another four years to be a teacher. And I was like, Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know. I don't know if I have another four years just to, just to be a PE teacher. So I changed my major to exercise science and you start to get to the end of that. And you realize like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life with a degree in exercise science. Like, am I going to become a personal trainer? Am I going to work at like a, a rehab clinic as like an exercise physiologist? And I just wanted to be in baseball. I wanted to find any possible way. Like I'd be a bullpen catcher. I'd throw BP. I probably would have been a bat boy. Like I didn't care about how to get in. So I like started parlaying that into like, you know, a- applying for internships uh, with baseball teams to be a strength coach. I really knew very little about SNC at the, at that point. I wasn't like a diehard like SNC guy. Like I loved to lift at, the, at that point in my life. I ran a lot. Uh, I was into like physiology and biology and things like that. But was very fortunate to get hired by the Pirates as an intern, unpaid. Well, you get to pay to go be an intern in, in those situations back in that day. Like I laugh at we can't you know we can't hire like true interns anymore because of labor laws. And I was like, man, I was I had to pay like five grand to do this job before. You guys are getting paid to do it. It's pretty cool. So Chris Dunaway, oddly enough, who is uh, my international athleticism coordinator now works works in our department, hired me back uh, in 2006 and uh, was a minor league like intern from January like, 5th to May 10th, whatever the 16 weeks was before the internship was up. I was packed up. I had a job at 24-hour fitness all waiting for me in Omaha, Nebraska, and I get ready to leave. And the farm director's like, hey, we don't have a hitting coach in the GCL right now. You throw good BP, and you can play catch with the guys and hit fungos and do stuff like that. Do you want to be the strength coach down here and do all that stuff to help us out? And I was like, do you want me to be? And he's like, I didn't ask you that. I asked you if you wanted a job. I was like, okay, I guess it's time to grow up. So uh, became a strength coach, was three years with the Pirates and got to that third year and just realized like, I got to sink my teeth in. And the only obvious place for me to sink my teeth in at that juncture was athletes performance. I began to like become obsessed with like 
AP programming, Mark Verstegen, Nick Winkleman, Sue Falsoni, like all these people who uh, I just felt like were the leaders in the industry at that point on SNC, on recovery, on regeneration, like all the buzzwords that Mark used to throw out. I listened to Mark speak at like multiple places and I was just like, blown away by his ability to control a room and like get up there and talk about like all these different gears and talk about things like cars and stuff like that. So applied, 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 applied. And finally got a job in the military as a contractor with AP out on the East Coast and did uh, did two years with them. It, I just finished my master's degree in human movement at, at AT Still University at that point. But Athletes Performance was the place that it was like, whoa. Like I, I, it was like a, a fellowship or like real life experience and a ton of continuing ed and a ton of different perspectives. And like now I felt like I was a strength coach. Like I felt like I had this like true experience and I had like a foundation. I had beliefs. I had like core principles and wasn't just like searching for methods. And luckily at that point, the Dodgers and, and athletes performance did a contract and Sue became the head trainer of the, of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And like I formed a relationship with her uh, over those two years and she brought me with her here, which now I was like able to take all those like endeavors that I wanted to do and put them in the, into the thing that I love the most, which was baseball. Yeah, it's amazing. And it seems like a decade ago, it was still strength and conditioning coaches only, but the idea of performance departments in baseball hadn't really taken off. As the, the field has evolved, how much has maybe your focus changed, but also it's just, it's expanded. There's a lot more about, a lot more detail about new research into whether it's nutrition, you know, vision training. How, how do you stay current on all the different emerging fields? Yeah, uh, my staff is by far like way more educated, smarter, like they all have these niches that they're really good at. So like I have guys that like when we need like true, like we got to put mass on this guy, we got to get him bigger. We got to have more force production. Like I have a group that like, I feel like I go park them in that garage. I go park the players in that garage and like, I know they're going to do well. And when I need to understand something, when I need to be able to communicate something, when I need to be able to uh, have that conversation with our front office, our coaching staff, whoever that might be, like they're the ones that I'm going to, to get that information. And like, yeah, there's some late night reading. There's some early morning reading. There's some podcasts. There's some things that I'm very fortunate to get to do, go speak at places that I'll listen to others talk about that. So like, I feel like I'm in this constant state of like, put things in the queue, research and development, apply them, put things in the queue, research and development, apply them. Before it would, I had to do it much more traditionally, which is like, sign up for a course, try it, fail it, learn it again, and then, and then implement it. But now we have just such a, we have an awesome staff. We have three of us who've been together the whole 12 years that all came from AP. And we, the rest of our staff, like we have a ton of continuity too. So we have just this really cool, continuous, like back and forth flow of information. Yeah, that's sort of on the, the science and research part of it. But when it does come to the different technologies, whether it's through the Dodgers or Legion Park, I'm sure, as you were saying at the beginning, you're sort of inundated with these opportunities to try them out. Other than yourself as guinea pig, how do you vet what might work to, to implement with your athletes? Everything comes down to like what, what type of problems we're trying to solve. Right. I feel like the industry is so concerned one way or another. A lot of people are against tech and a lot of people are for tech. And it's not really a question of if you're for or against it. It's does a piece of tech help me solve a problem? And so I've tried to look at it as a buffet of services and not necessarily a one size fits all method. Like there are, let's just talk about like baseball in general, not SNC metrics, but like, 
there are people that need to understand their metrics when they're pitching. They need to understand how they spin a baseball. They need to understand, you know, how effective their fastball is. They need to understand like how well their command is, things along those lines. And like, there's a lot of really cool tech out there that can, that you can implement to help drive that message home that they just need these constant reminders. Like if you're poor at sleeping and you think that you're doing great, the first thing we need to do is make you aware. So no matter what device you put on, you're now aware that like, wow, four hours of sleep isn't very much. Whether or not that information that you're getting is like absolutely precise uh, regarding, you know, your deep, your rim, your light, whatever. You're now aware like four hours is enough. And I think that there's some really cool tech in like baseball and things that we've been able to introduce that make people aware of those things. Vice versa, on the other hand, like... If you sleep eight hours and you sleep great, or you have a good fastball that you don't have to really try and, and, and like be on top of those things. I think that now we're just like throwing tech out there to say that it works for everybody. And we should be focusing on things that we need to improve upon or that we need to maintain with other pieces of tech, given like those different solutions that those athletes need. And you, you mentioned sort of making the athlete aware. And so obviously the, the athlete has to be uh, involved in, in the process. And I know one of your side affiliations is uh, on the performance board of breakaway data, whose central thesis is about making sure the athlete has his own data and can control it. You know, how do you go about making the sell? That, you know, this is maybe something you should try. And then how do you get them to, you know, really buy into that? I really do believe in the mission at, at breakaway. And, you know, it was kind of there with Dave and Steve at the start of it, as we put this thing together, like the athletes data or the, the athlete themselves trying to improve is the most, most mutually beneficial thing that we could ever have between a sports organization and an athlete. Like if an athlete does really well, they're going to get compensated for it. And if an athlete does really well, the team is going to be compensated for it. So like, all I want is for people to improve their performance because when they improve their performance, our team's ability goes up, our ability goes up, we have a chance to win more games and it's just full circle. And so a lot of times that's the way that I'll go about it. I used to be the guy that say, here, here's, here's 50 auras, give them to the guys, tell them we'll get the dashboard set up for them and we'll, uh, we'll be able to do all these uh, really cool things with them. And then 38 of them end up on my desk because athletes are like, okay, you're just trying to monitor my sleep. You're going to use this against me. This isn't very cool. Okay. You're not big brother. Okay. Duly noted. You know what? Here's the aura. I don't want the dashboard. You take it. It's your day. Like you have questions about your sleep, bring them back to me. All I care about is you sleep more and you sleep better. And you understand like, wow, I worked out really hard today. I didn't get great sleep. Maybe I worked out too hard. Wow. I had a couple drinks last night. Like, Maybe those things affect me in different ways. Like, so when you have questions, bring it back to me. So I really went to this idea with our athletes of like, this is yours. This isn't, this isn't about me. This isn't about, this isn't going to change whether or not Dave puts you in the lineup or, or Andrew signs you to a long-term contract or, or anything like that. Like, this is purely about like you just wanting to improve yourself. So if you have questions, I'm here for you. And it's just been so much better. And, and obviously like Andrew and Dave and, and our whole organization is like set up this system where athletes feel safe and then they feel like they get to pick the things that they need to, they need to pick. They get to pick the way like information is given to them too. And I just tried to like follow the organizational model with that as it comes to sports tech. Like if you want something because of the relationships with breakaway and Alicia and all those, like there's a good chance I can go out and get it for you. 
and it'll help you solve the problem that you're trying to solve, or at least help you like try it out to figure out if you want to use it or not. And that'll help the athlete make more informed decisions. And there, but of course, there comes a time where you know the, the staff is going to have to make not decisions. That's certainly a, a managerial decision. Uh, like Dave Roberts is going to decide who's in the line to say. But obviously, you'll have input and recommendations like about readiness. Like how do you sort of monitor the players throughout the long grind of the season and and be a part of that process. It's changed. It's definitely evolved over the years, right? Like you talked about performance 10 years ago being completely there. It was just S&C and it was a barbell and some weights and a bike 10 years ago. And now we have endless tools. For me, it was about understanding what we were trying to do on the baseball side. Why did we acquire a guy? What is he good at? What is he not good at? What are the situations that we're going to put him in to be successful? Okay. If we have a left-handed hitter that's not going to face a lot of left-handed pitching and I have a run of three left-handed starting pitchers coming up, like I now know the way that we can monitor and affect the readiness of that athlete has completely changed. And if we're going to face five righties in a row, that guy's going to be run out there every day. So when I started understanding what we were trying to do from a situational standpoint, from a baseball perspective, or we, you know, the usage standpoint of why we, why we acquired a guy, what situations we would use him in. Now it allows myself to go back to my staff and say, hey, all right, kind of have this vision. Like things change, obviously, in baseball pretty quickly. People get scratched from the lineup every night, 15 minutes before the game, and the whole world completely flips over. But this is probably going to happen in the next three days. So if we have an opportunity for a guy who's, who's been redlined to recover them over those three days, let's take the opportunity. Let's not train them too hard. Let's not go crazy with the you know, new techniques or new swing changes or, or anything along those lines because we actually have an like, we have a window of opportunity to regenerate. Uh, vice versa, this guy hasn't done anything. He hasn't been on base. He hasn't been able to play too much. Like We have to find a way to keep that gas tank filled up on the performance side to then prepare them for docking. So... I never go into our to any of our coaches or managers office or, or front office and tell them yes or no. If you're on the roster, you need to play. But I do my best to ensure that like forecast, like, hey, like next week it might rain. So if we have an opportunity to give this guy a day or get them out of the game earlier or whatever, it might be helpful. But I, I I want our I would love for all of our guys to be out there every opportunity they can. And like my slogan to our coaches all the time is I want you to be able to have the workload build up that if we need to figure something out on the pitching side or we need to figure out something on the swing side, we have the equity built up with the workload. You can have a day where you overswing or you overthrow because we got to go figure it out. If I constantly keep that low and that gas tank is only halfway full and then one day we decide to just empty it, the next 10 to 10 days to 14 days is not going to be very good for that athlete. So like we're constantly trying to keep those things up. And that's just like, again, this feedback loop with Dave, with Mark, with Robert, with all the like different groups on our coaching staff. The beauty of working for a team like the Dodgers is that you contend for the playoffs every year. But the challenge of working for a team like the Dodgers is that you contend for the playoffs every year and you have a whole extra month of the season. You know, are there any particular accommodations or extra challenges for managing workload for that extra month? I think that the a lot of that has to take place in August and September because no one's thinking about workload in, in October, obviously. Like when we when we flip the calendar, like our full intention is to win a World Series every year. If I've waited until then, it, it's too late for those types of things. March is extremely important, in my opinion, in October for the, for the most part. Like we get off to a bad start if we're hanging on by a thread with an injury, if we just don't have workload build up. 
um, if we don't have enough gas in the tank to start this long trip across the country. Not saying that like we can't like mitigate it and find ways to get through it, but things don't usually go well. And then, you know, there's a second part of the season, I feel like, which is like after the newness is wore, wore off and the adrenaline's wore off and now we're, we're settled into this marathon that we have to find a routine. We have to find a routine that we're going to get into for like six to 12 weeks, depending on age, usage, injury history, things like that. But like, let's, let's go attack May and June for sure. Sometimes July for guys that have been through that grind before. And now when we get into August and everybody talks about August being the, the dog days and, and how hard it is, it's like, that's, that's the month too, for me, like where we can, we're going to go one of two ways. And if we think that we're going to keep training the way that we've been training all year in August, I'm going to redline you and we're, we're going to be in a tough spot. But if I can now start to microdose or figure out little ways to get in there with you, my staff just like, they, they get this, they own this, they're using different pieces of tech and, and obviously like their eyeballs to, to make those decisions. But if I can find a way just to just give you a little bit of dip and, and chill it out for a little bit, then I feel like we can do some things in September that most teams aren't able to do for the idea of pushing you to the back of October. And it's not, it's not a perfect science. It's not a complete science, but you know, it definitely is the way that my mind works that we're playing a seven month season and not a six month season. And then if I'm only playing for a six month season, like we're going to run out of gas at the end of the trip. John, I don't mean to dominate the conversation. <laughs> I'll turn it over to you for a moment. Yeah, no worries, Joe. Thank you very much. Brandon, it's very interesting listening to you talk about your work with the team there and You've spoken about some of the ways in which tech has really transformed the way that you do your job. Now, I'm curious to ask you, what are some of the ways in which tech can be time consuming? Are there particular examples of tech that really do eat into your daily schedule? What is the most time consuming aspect of using these types of technology and how do you work to mitigate that impact? The biggest thing about tech is the preparation of it, making sure it's charged, making sure that it's set up, making sure that it's like you've ran through it enough where it's just second nature. Like nobody would put a product out that doesn't work or, you know, isn't necessarily efficient. I think it comes down to user error a lot of times. And so I'm always just doing my best to make sure that when we're going to do something that we're, like we're ready. I was having this conversation with somebody in the health space the other day, like you have 15 minutes to get your point across. You don't have an hour. You don't have an hour consultation. You have 15 minutes for that athlete who's thinking about the 10,000 other things that they need to do. And I tell the story all the time. Like when you walk into the clubhouse as a player, you see video room on the right manager's room past that coach's room, right past that. Somebody from the media team is sitting there waiting for you. They either need you to go sign autographs or they need you to do an interview. There's a clubhouse manager asking you about the size of a hat or a size of a Jersey, because you need to get something replaced and you haven't even made it to your locker yet. And you have an opportunity of maybe running into 20 people. Now I'm going to go and I'm going to eat. I'm going to change. I'm going to go to the training room. I'm going to get my treatment. Now my day is going to start and I go down to the weight room and there's a piece of tech waiting for me. Oh, geez. I haven't even swung a bat yet. I haven't even thrown a ball yet. Now this guy's going to ask me to jump on a force plate. <laughs> like all I want to do is get to the cage. All I want to do is get to, I, I just want to go fix the thing that gets me paid. But uh, hey, just real quick, just hey, I got 20 seconds to figure this out. And if the tech, if I'm not locked and loaded and ready to go, and that thing misfires, see ya. That guy's out the door. Because I can't force anybody to do anything. I'm like, hey, Doc, uh, somebody didn't run the 
somebody to get on the force plates today. Like that's not the way it works in professional sports. And so we have to like, we have to have those things buttoned up or we just like, they think we're fools. They think we don't know what we're doing. And so that's, that's the first and like most important thing. The second most important thing. And I used to hear this for years. is like, we do all these screens on the first day of spring training. And then what do you do with them? And you know what? That's a good point. So we use our screens now. We do less of them. We don't have a huge battery. We do the things that we think that are impactful. We pick out the things that are impactful within that for each athlete. And we test them all the time because we find them to be the things that are either their superpowers or their kryptonites. And the kryptonites we're trying to manage, the superpowers we're trying to maintain. And so when you use tech, there better be a reason why you're using it. And you better be able to go back to that every single time that you need to for that athlete. And and I, I'm from Iowa, so Dan Gable's always like in the back of my head growing up hearing stories about him, but like, if it's important, you do it every day. It's not important. You don't do it at all. And like, that's kind of my mindset when it comes to these things is like, we'll find importance and, and, and whether that's every day, every other day, once a week, once every two weeks, whatever it is, but like, we become consistent with that. And we know that we're like ready and efficient. It works. We're in a good spot when we're not, we have to manage that relationship. Now, it has nothing to do with the, the athlete and the tech. It has everything to do with the athletes trust in us with their careers. So I guess that helps you manage the question that seems to face coaches across the world of elite sport ultimately, which is they're measuring all sorts of things but they don't have the ability to interpret that. They're measuring things for the sake of measuring it at times. You seem to have got beyond that stage. Is that a fair comment? Yeah, it'll change, I'm sure. Like, But but right now, I think that's a, today, that's my truth. And what about when the team goes on the road? We try to do things for the most part that we can do everywhere. Obviously, I can't like pick up a DEXA scanner and put it on the plane and you know take it across the country to test body fats but like we want to do everything we can to implement these things in into routines the things for fitness and for health and for snc and performance like probably should have them readily available if i want to preach habits to someone hey i need you to do this every day yeah you don't bring it on the road okay i just need you to do that when we're at home like that doesn't go over well but there's other things like doctor's visits that i only need to go to once every three six nine months right it's so like we have those things set up to where we do those at home. Like, hey, in this homestand, you know, we have 10 days, like try to knock this out. And then you won't have to do it again for the rest of the year. And so like we, we really, we really try to manage that in a way that is practical and applicable and not necessarily maybe what's what the science says or, or what the data says. I guess I've got one more question before I throw it back to Joe. And that is to ask about the subjective information and data that you collect maybe something like wellness questionnaires for example you've spoken a little bit about that this morning already brandon but how do you ensure that the more subjective elements you're collecting are able to complement the more objective elements such as say force plates to be on our staff you have to have a pretty high level of emotional intelligence to be able to to be able to pass the sniff test to be in the clubhouse with the guys, you better know how to have a conversation. You better understand who the most important person in the room is, which is the player. Um, you better have compassion. You better have empathy to these guys. Like this is really, really hard what they do. And I think that if you have that baseline level of EQ, 
the subjective becomes very easy because it isn't necessarily an iPad and sliding the scale over one through five or touching the body part that doesn't feel well. It starts with, dude, how you doing? How's your day going? What's going on? I haven't seen you in the weight room for a couple of weeks. You okay? Everything good at home? Like That's the most important wellness questionnaire. I've done wellness questionnaires before in the past. There's a lot of upside to them. I think they work a little bit more in like the Olympic or the youth or the college level where people maybe feel like they have to do things. And I found myself just scaling the scale to the athlete who was always a five, no, like their arm could be falling off their body. Like I'm a five. Like, okay. That when he says that, that means he's a two, like, like kind of play that game. And like, <laughs> then I, then I found myself just like playing uh, carnival games with people like, okay, I guess your weight, it's uh, 147 today. No. Okay. And it taught us like, okay, these things are important, like sleep, hydration, mood. But if I have a conversation with you and you're snippy with me, I got a pretty good idea. You're not in a good mood. And so like, we, we just started to go about it that way. It will not end up in a research paper. That's for sure. It's not going to be the way that everybody does it, but I feel much more comfortable with it of like, if we go and ask how someone's doing or or how we can help, we seem to get a lot more answers than we are getting out of that questionnaire. Fascinating. And, you know, a moment ago, you talked about baselines, uh, you know, maybe at the beginning of the season, but I'm also curious a bit more about earlier in an athlete's career. There's a lot more available at the youth and high school levels. How much does the performance department get involved either in scouting or just, or, or maybe be having the opportunity to make more informed decisions, you know, earlier in the development of a player's career. I have three boys, eight, seven, and three. And so my like passion now, or my hobby, I guess, is like youth baseball, play a little GM every once in a while with the roster. I, uh, I play, uh, I play head coach when the coach is out of town, things like that. And so I have been extremely fascinated by the youth space and the high school space the last couple of years because high school players are they're put together now. Like this is a different ball game. And so as we, you know, as we take a look at guys in the in the draft or projector things along those lines over the years, like my eyes just kept wandering over there. Like, what's going on in this space? What's going on in this space? Like, I want to know how these kids that are 16 are throwing 93, 94 miles an hour now. It's very hard to find a guy that hasn't had an injury coming out of high school. Like if you if you're really good and you haven't been injured, you're going in the first round. If you're really good and you've been injured a lot, like probably not, unless you're that that you know, that much better. And so developing and building engines is not something that I was taught to do or was necessarily my main craft. I figured out, you know, a few years back, like I'm a mechanic that fixes engines or maybe makes them a little bit more efficient, but I never really built an engine seven, eight years ago. And now like taking a look and like becoming super curious in that space, worked with a few high school athletes a few college athletes over the last years and like the last couple of years. And that has taught me more about being a better technician or mechanic at the major league level than anything I've ever, any other course I've ever been to or any other experience I have. Like I got to see how it got developed and then like, Oh, I didn't have to take all you know these 27 steps to get there. Like these guys respond really, really well, really, really quickly. And I can see why they break down at 27, 28. 
And so like that, that part of it has made me better and looking at things on a spectrum and not in a vacuum. And that like, there are no good or bad exercises. There is no good or bad tech. There are no good or bad ideas. It's where in the spectrum are we at with that career this week, this month, this season, or, you know, it, it, what, you know, are they playing youth baseball, high school baseball, college baseball, pro baseball, like, I can get away with more things when I'm younger because they're more resilient and they don't play as many games and it's not their full-time job. But if I tried to train some guys that play baseball every single day, eight hours a day, 230 days out of the year, that's probably why they break down. And so I went away from like absolutes and now started to say like, okay, this would be a really good thing for that athlete at that part of their career. And to sort of build off that and into a little more depth is certainly the hot topic in, in baseball is the, when is a good time to specialize? And then you're seeing overuse injuries. I assume you've developed some opinions on, on that front as well, right? I think the overuse thing is tough to quantify. I know my eight-year-old son has played more baseball by the time he's eight than I, I did. Mostly because I grew up in Iowa and he grew up, he grows up in Southern California. So there's just like a weather component to it. And dad does this for a living. So like, yeah, off days and, and days that he doesn't have school or whatever, like we're at the field. And so there's like a little bit of a, of a passion there, but there are things that I noticed with my oldest that his buddies that play soccer, right? Like he doesn't play soccer. He plays football. He plays basketball. He plays baseball. He doesn't play soccer, but there's some things when he goes, like make some lateral moves. And I'm like, spent a lot of time around Bosch. So I'm like watching every pelvis move now and how they hip lock and like all those things. I'm like, wow, my son doesn't hip lock very well, but his buddy that plays soccer. Oh, and his other buddy that plays soccer, like they naturally do those things because they probably get that movement in that other sport. And so now being a probably a really bad dad, but a curious technician, I'm like, all right, dude, we gotta, we gotta do some stuff that you would maybe get in soccer if we're not going to play, not going to play that sport. Because I, I don't know how much of it is about doing too much baseball as much as balancing out what the, what the breakdown take, what breakdown takes place when you play baseball with other things that will centrate your joints. And so um, that's kind of the way that I went about it, but yeah, there's some crazy, crazy, crazy stuff going on in the youth space with like the over specialization of things. And then, and like on one hand, we have to listen to ourselves. Like we want our kids to have any opportunity to be successful and play on a high school team or play, you know, play college athletics or, or whatever it might be. Like they have to keep up with the Joneses. They have to go out and play to make sure that they're good enough because if they're not good enough, they're probably not going to have a passion. Like nobody wants to do something they're not very good at. And so like, we have to be very, very smart. And like my number one rule, and I tell my wife this all the time in the youth space is like when we leave, when we take Caleb home or when we take Turner home from sports, I want him to love it as much, if not more than on our way here. And I know that if we do that and we take that mindset every single day that yes, there's success. Yes, there's failure. Things will happen. But if they like have a passion for it, we always have the opportunity to get better then. But if they leave and they feel like it's a job and they hate it and they don't want to go the next day, like that dream, that dream died. And, and they're, and they don't want to, and, and one day they'll move on to other hobbies and other things that like probably, you know, make them feel better than like the way baseball made me feel growing up. And that's great. But right now, like no matter what we're doing, I just always wanted to make sure that they love it and they had a good time and they feel like they have a chance 
Cause I feel like if I, if I take that model for the next 10 years with my oldest, my next 12 years with my middle one and my next 15 years with my youngest, like whatever they go do when they graduate high school, they'll at least understand how to go do it and be consistent every single day. And that's the cool part about baseball is that all the opportunities. Uh, absolutely. And as a father of a six-year-old, I'm taking some notes over here too. So just, uh, you got a little bit of a head start on me, but I'll send, I'll send you the Bosch stuff so you can go down that route too. But that's like, <laughs> that, that's been the most, like, that's been the coolest part. Let's be like, selfishly speaking, like having all these conversations with some of the people, like the, the biggest leaders of our industry. And and then you're like, huh? I kind of got the cheat code for my own kids now. So yeah, <laughs> but now, but and uh, like any dad, I think I have the issue of like, okay, dad, I got it. Like I got to now, I have to go inject that information to others around them to make sure that they hear it because they don't want to hear it from me. Yeah, no, actually, even uh, not specifically sports related, but like teaching my son how to swing. Like you know, I must have told him hundreds of times how to pump his legs on the swing. Never really sunk in. Johnny next door suddenly comes over and like, Hey dad, guess what Johnny told me? Look, I know how to swing now. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. I, um, um, I've spent a ridiculous amount of money on lessons. Um, not because I, and again, it's not about specialization, but I think I've sent my oldest to 20 different instructors because I want them to learn how to disseminate information. Like, okay. You're gonna hear you're gonna hear something new. These these guys like contradict each other all the time. You can see them like, well, wait, wait a minute. The last coach told me to do the opposite of that. And so the conversation on the way home is like, all right, buddy, this is the way life is. People are going to be telling you stuff all the time that isn't necessarily true. It's their truth, but it isn't necessarily true for you. Like you need to learn what works best for you. And it also, as we talked about variability and movement patterns and things like that, like if I send them to the same guy over again, they're going to do the same things over and over again. But if I keep like sending them out to other voices and other coaches, he's going to get exposed to new patterns and new thought processes and new new movements that I think there's some health benefits to that as well, let alone the fact that like he's going to learn how to be coachable. And baseball, of course, is the most asymmetrical sport out there. But also, I guess, uh, you know, to bring it back to the, the tech element, there probably are more tools, whether it's a, a Proteus motion or something, there seems like there's probably more ways to help compensate and to build that, you know, sort of the, the breaking mechanisms on the other side of the body, the overall symmetry that you might need. Is that fair to say that you, even if someone, you know, enters, enters your care and has some of these imbalances, it's probably a little bit easier to mitigate them? Yeah. And, and, then, and again, it's like Sue Falsoni said this in 2012, she would, she would host these courses after spring training, which is like taboo, right? Like in spring training, you're there at 5 a.m. and the day's over at four, you just want to go home. And Sue would like sit around and talk shop and like hold these little courses every night for like three hours. And I'll never, there's two of them that I'll never forget. The first one was a guy that got like a hangnail on his big toe on his left foot and his right elbow blew up because he couldn't land. Uh, he couldn't land properly. So all the, all the force was absorbed in the upper quadrant. Okay. Like that'll make you think then we can go down some rabbit holes with people like, you have a hangnail. Oh my God, you're going to have Tommy John. This isn't good. <laughs> but, but, but in reality, it's like, okay, like how can we be smarter in between? And we, we still have to play, but at the same time, like you do have something going so let's be smart about it. And then the second one was like a guy that had a pretty high amount of extension loss on their elbow. 
and basically like walked around with a flex like carrying angle. And then if you straighten that guy out, he lost his ability to sink the ball. But if he had too much flexion walking around at carrying angle, like he was in pain. So getting them to zero isn't necessarily good for their careers, but keeping them at 20 degrees might be painful. It's like, what's, where's the middle there? Like where, where can, where can Goldilocks find the porridge pretty much? And understanding that more always isn't better or less in this case, less isn't always better. And then understanding like there's a going back to the youth in the high school space. And like, we all find ways to strategize, right? Like hitting is a, it's a body strategy. Like, okay, ball's coming, bat needs to get there. How am I going to get there? The dude that's six, four, that has a long torso, short arms and short legs. Like he's going to find a completely different strategy than the guy who's six, four, that has a short torso, really long arms and really long legs. And so to think that our compensations are even going to be in the same, or we're going to fall in the same bucket, it's probably a bad place to start assuming that. And so now being able to look at each individual for who they are and the strategy that they use to get here is then how we can then go maintain those imbalances and keep them somewhere on that sliding scale. Well, this has been really great and selfishly, I'd like to extend it a few more hours, but uh, you've already been gracious with your your time and insights at this point. So I'll, I'll kick it back over to John. Yeah, thank you very much, Joe. Just one final question I'd like to touch upon, Brandon, and that's to ask you, when you're at work, when are you at your most confident and in command? There's two, I think there's two points in the day. Number one is like, if if, if all things are on schedule and I get in, get my workout in and I have this like 15 minutes of preparation by myself to reflect on last night, to make sure that I've got a list of solutions and I I feel like I have a plan. Okay. Like the day can start now. That's the first one. And then the greatest part about my job and the, and the, like the part that I'm the most fortunate is I get to talk to everybody. Like I'm, if you watch me work, like I'm not on the floor, like I used to be, I could be in a pitching meeting. I could be in a hitting meeting. I could be in the manager's office. I could be meeting with the GM. I could be talking to a player. I could be meeting with our chef. Like that's super empowering for me. It's the way my mind works. It's, it's the way I'm, I'm looking at the athlete and all the things that surround the athlete and how I can get to all those people to make sure that we close in on the solution. And I feel super empowered when I can walk around and kind of point and click and like do things with people. Cause I feel like that's why I was, why I was put on this earth was to, to bring people together in that regard. And when I do that, that's when, that's what, that's what makes it easy to lay your head down on the pillow at night. I think that's a great place to wrap things up. Brandon, thank you so much for your time today. This has been fascinating. Thank you. I appreciate it, guys. This was a lot of fun. I hope to do it again. Hopefully, I'll, hopefully I'll be like on your 100th episode or 1,000th episode. <laughs> <laughs> Big ambitions for us. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you very much, Brandon. Thank you, Joe. See you again sometime soon. Sounds great.